Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner, In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 7, Part 3, Episode 19. Podcast 143 is entitled, King Arthur Counsels with Una. In last week's episode, Una by chance meets King Arthur, the greatest of all knights. She tells him her sad tale, almost fainting with grief. She recounts the story of her own parents who were held captive by a great dragon. She relates how many knights have failed in trying to free them. She tells of how she met the Red Cross Knight and recounts his sad fate. King Arthur listens patiently and carefully reasons with her. He vows not to rest until he has delivered her beloved knight from the clutches of the giant Gorgoglio and the wicked witch, Duessa. This is a battle of virtue, good versus evil. The Red Cross Knight has fallen to the seductions of the witch, Duessa, lost his powers equivalent to Samson having his hair cut because of the cunningness of his unfaithful wife, Delilah. King Arthur, however, is above reproach. He wears the full armor of God. He is accompanied by his young squire, his arms-bearer, a gentle youth, his dearly loved squire, his spear of heben wood behind him bare, whose harmful head, thrice heated in the fire, had riven many a breast with pikehead square, a goodly person, and could menage fair. His stubborn steed, with curbed cannon bit, who under him did trample as the air, and chaffed that any on his back should sit, the yarn rowls into frothy foam he bit. At first, Una, overcome with grief, is reluctant to open her heart. King Arthur draws closer. He discerns her secret sorrow and strives to calm her fears with gentle words. Una still resists, but King Arthur cleverly draws her out with fitting words. King Arthur is a master counselor, for he has total empathy for Una. He listens both with his head and with his heart. He is a true minister of Christ. When as this night, nigh to the lady drew with lovely court, he gan her entertain. But when he heard her answers loath, he knew some secret sorrow did her heart distrain, which to allay and calm her storming pain, fair feeling words he wisely gan display. And for her humor fitting purpose vain to tempt, the cause itself for to be ray, wherein immoved these bleeding words she gan to say. Una rejects King Arthur, saying her sorrow is too deep to express. In other words, King Arthur couldn't understand her grief. Spencer is a student of human nature, for it is very common that those who seek help fight against those who offer help. She says it is better to keep her sorrows to herself. Her only comfort is in weeping. The exchange between Arthur and Una is a lesson in compassionate counseling. Una says to King Arthur, What world's delight or joy of living speech can heart 
so plunged in sea of sorrows deep and heaped with so much misfortune's reach. The careful cold beginneth for to creep, and in my heart is yar an arrow steep, soon as I think upon my bitter bell. Such helpless harms yet's better hidden keep than rip my grief, where it may not avail my last left comfort is my woes to weep and wail. Notice the patient exchange between King Arthur and Una. He acknowledges her grief, for he feels it in his own spirit. But Arthur doesn't accept her argument that keeping her story to herself is best. He argues that good counsel softens or soothes the pain and overpowers the hurt. Those who keep their sorrows hidden cannot find help. King Arthur counsels. Ah, lady dear, quoth then the gentle knight, well may I ween your grief is wondrous great, for wondrous great grief groaneth in my spirit, whilst thus I hear you of your sorrow treat. But woeful lady, let me you entreat, for to unfold the anguish of your heart, mishaps are maestried by advice discreet, and counsels mitigates the greatest smart. Found never help who never would his hurts impart. Una, however, is stubborn and claims that true grief cannot find words. It is easier to hold sorrow in one's heart. Arthur doesn't agree. Those who never try can never succeed. She needs to humble herself and turn her will to greater strength. In other words, Una is her own enemy. She needs to overpower her fears. But Una has an answer for everything. She claims that grief increases through expression of grief. Arthur argues that despair increases when she refuses to accept help. In other words, grief doesn't increase by sharing, but despair increases by not sharing. Faith overcomes despair. Quick-witted Una counters that no faith is so great that the sorrows of the flesh cannot equal it. It is clear that Una has reached the end of her strength. Without help, she cannot go on. She is as bound to her sorrow as her beloved Red Cross Knight is bound in the giant's dungeon. King Arthur must first help Una before he can help her free the Red Cross Knight. King Arthur counters that flesh may danger faith, but he as reason can repair the damage. Notice the quick banter between Una and King Arthur as she resists his help. Oh, but, quoth she, great grief will not be told and can more easily be thought than said. Right so, quoth he, but he that never would could never, will to might gives greatest aid. But grief, quoth she, does greater grow displain, if then it find not help, and breeds despair. Despair breeds not, quoth he, where faith is stayed. No faith so fast, quoth she, but flesh does pair. Flesh may impair, quoth he but reason can repair. King Arthur counsels reason. Many people who have felt that their grief is so great that no one can help them can relate to this insightful exchange. Those in need built up barriers not letting anyone in. They can no longer help themselves, but they also refuse to allow anyone else to help them. But King Arthur penetrates her passion and breaks down the barriers. Finally, she is able to respond to his reason and is persuaded to tell her story. She expresses her desire that good fortune put Arthur in her path, and she allows his wisdom to direct her thoughts, and expresses her desire that he can give her relief. She agrees to tell him everything. 
This shows the genius of Spencer. These people are in fairyland, a land of make-believe. But in reality, they have very real problems that real people often face. Their solutions are our solutions. It is the further genius of Spencer that he offers both temporal and spiritual solutions to the problems. Solutions often require not only faith in God, but faith in self and faith in others. It requires humility, courage, outside help, wisdom, and reason. His goodly reason and well-guided speech so deep did settle in her gracious thought that her persuaded to disclose the breach which love and fortune in her heart had wrought and said, Fair sir, I hope good hap hath brought you to inquire the secrets of my grief or that your wisdom will direct my thought or that your prowess can me yield relief. Then hear the story sad which I shall tell you brief. Una symbolizes truth or oneness. She is the only daughter of a king and queen. The land where the king and queen rule is by description as recorded in Genesis none other than Eden. They are imprisoned by a great dragon, which of course conjures up the fall of Adam and Eve, thus making all mankind the laughing stock of fortune's mockeries. In other words, Una's tale is everyone's tale. Truth is assaulted on every side. The forlorn maiden whom your eyes have seen, the laughing stock of fortune's mockeries, and the only daughter of a king and queen whose parents dear, whilst equal destinies did run about, and their felicities the favorable heavens did not envy, did spread their rule through all the territories where Pison and Euphrates floweth by, and Gihon's golden waves do wash continually. The dragon is bred in the loathly lakes of Tartary. In other words, according to Dante, bred in the lowest circle of hell. Uno's parents have been imprisoned in their castle for four years. Tell that their cruel cursed enemy and huge great dragon horrible in sight, bred in the loathly lakes of Tartary, with murderous ravine and devouring might, their kingdom spoiled and country wasted quite. Themselves, for fear into the jaws to fall, he forced to castle strong to take their flight, where fast embarred in mighty brazen wall, he has them now four years besieged to make them thrall. Many knights have tried, but none have succeeded in freeing them. The dragon grew stronger. The reason the knights did not conquer the dragon, however, is because of their lack of faith or their guilt from sin. In other words, they did not wear the full armor of God. Full many knights, adventurous and stout, have enterprised that monster to subdue. From every coast that heaven walks about have hither come the noble marital crew that famous hard achievements still pursue. Yet never any could that girl and win, but all still shrunk and still he greater grew. All they for want of faith or guilt of sin, the piteous prey of his fierce cruelty have been. Having heard of the fame of the noble order of the garter, the fairy queen being head, Una sought help in fairyland. Their symbol is none other than the famed St. George killing the dragon. At last he led with far reported praise which flying fame throughout the world had spread of doughty knights whom fairyland did raise 
that noble order height of maidenhead. Forthwith to court of Glorian I spread, of Glorian, great queen of glory bright, whose kingdom seat, Cleopolis, is red, there to obtain some such redoubted knight, the parents dear from tyrant's power deliver might. Una saw her chance to find what Spencer calls a fresh and proved knight, rather than someone imbrued in guilty blood. She recounts the adventures of the Red Cross Knight, who before his capture by the wicked Duessa and the giant Orgoglio had been undefeatable. It was my chance. My chance was fair and good, therefore to find a fresh, unproved knight, whose manly hands imbrued in guilty blood had never been, ne ever by his might had thrown to ground the unregarded right. Yet of his prowess proof he since hath made, I witness am, in many a cruel fight, the groaning ghosts of many one dismayed have felt the bitter dint of his avenging blade. King Arthur is shocked at her story. He asks where has she left his knight, and why did she leave him if he is so noble? And ye, the forlorn relics of his power, his biting sword and his devouring spear, which have endured many dreadful stour, can speak his prowess that did erst you bear and well could rule. Now he has left you here to be the record of his rueful loss and of my doleful disadventure, dear. Oh, heavy record of that good red cross. Where have you left your lord that could so well you toss? Una answers that she had hoped that the red cross knight could free her parents, but the deceitful enchanter Archimago had cast a spell and caused him to question her loyalty. He abandoned her. She vows to King Arthur that she loved him with all her might and that she still believes in him. Well hoped I and fair beginnings had that he my captive languor should redeem till all unweeting an enchanter bad his scene abused and made him to misdeem my loyalty, not such as it did seem. That rather death desire than such despite be judged, ye heaven, that all things right esteem how I loved and love with all my might, so thought I eke of him and think I thought aright. She tells King Arthur that he left her devastated to wander where fortune took her. However, he too wandered where no other had been. He chanced to meet Duessa, her only enemy and her only dread, who used witchcraft and pretended sweetness to persuade the Red Cross Knight to follow her unholy desires. Thenceforth, me desolate, he quite forsook to wander where wild fortune would me lead, and other byways he himself betook, where never foot of living white did tread that brought not back the baleful body dead. In which him chanced false Duessa meet might only fall, mine only deadly dread, who with her witchcraft and misseeming sweet inveigled him to follow her desires unmeet. Duessa betrayed the Red Cross Knight to the giant Orgoglio. They disarmed him and did what no one else could do. They threw him into a dungeon. At last by subtle slights she him betrayed unto his foe, a giant huge and tall, 
who him disarmed, dissolute, dismayed, unwares, surprised, and with mighty maul the monster merciless him made to fall, whose fall did never foe before behold. And now in darksome dungeon, wretched thrall, remediless, for ere he doth him hold, this is my cause of grief, more great than may be told. After hearing her sad tale, King Arthur comforts Una and promises that he will not rest until he releases her captive knight from prison. With that, King Arthur, the squire, and Una, all led by the dwarf, set off on their journey. Ere she had ended all, she gan to faint, but he her comforted and fair bespake. Certes, madame, you have great cause of plate, the stoutest heart I ween could cause to quake. But be of cheer, and comfort to you take. For till I have acquit your captive knight, assure yourself, I will you not forsake. His cheerful words revived her cheerless spite. So forth they went, the dwarf them guiding ever right. Please join us next week as we move to Canto 8 and continue the adventures of Una, the squire, King Arthur, the dwarf, and the Red Cross Knight. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.